Today's guest is author Nancy Cummings. Nancy Cummings is an unapologetic nerd. Time travel, space opera, superheroes, tabletop games, fountain pens and video games where you beat up robots, she loves it all. Nancy writes the types of books she wants to read. Fun, fast, and flirty adventures featuring human women and the aliens who love them. Professionally, Nancy was a social worker for a long time before deciding to chase her childhood dream and write full-time. She is still a bit freaked out about doing art for a living, but it's the best job she's ever had. Nancy lives outside Philadelphia in an old house with her husband and cats. You can find her online at nancycummings.com. Nancy, what made you want to live a more creative life? I, I think I've always had a creative bent. Um, I was always a, a daydreamer when I was a kid in school. I never paid attention because the things in my head were way more interesting than what was happening in class. And I've known I wanted to be a writer since, oh my gosh, like third grade. Well, my family never told me it was a bad idea. They were always, you should have a plan, a backup plan. And, you know, I had to get a day job. So I guess being creative was, was a, an outlet to relieve stress from, from the day job. Um, I, I did social work, which has a very high burnout rate. Yeah. And going home and writing happy stories <laughs> where maybe some bad things happened, but it all worked out in the end, well, was a, a good way of, of coping with that and preventing burnout. So I guess it's something I had to do just so I just didn't fall to pieces in my, in my everyday life. My mother did social work for almost her entire career in one wow mother, and I couldn't do it. I am not that strong. I looked at, at, at what she did and the stories she came home with, and I thought, special, quiet place in heaven for all those folks. Oh, I, I can't work with kids. It is too heartbreaking. Mm -mm, yeah. I was like, I, I was much happier working with adults. In some ways, adults were harder because their problems were, were pretty serious, but like, kids were just nothing good happens when the social worker has to be involved with the kid. No. I feel. Nothing, nothing at all. There's, something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. Right, right. Uh, adults have failed that child, and, and that was just too much for me. Onward. We're starting on a happy note, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, well. But it's very fulfilling work, and I enjoyed it very much, because if I had to get a day job to pay my bills, because I like paying my bills, it was emotionally satisfying for me. And that does make a difference, I think. Yes. Do you plan your projects in detail or go with the flow? And why did you make that your process? I have so much envy for writers who can make a detailed outline and then actually follow that outline. I want to be like that, but my brain doesn't work that way. <laughs> if I make an outline, invariably, I get bored with the project. It just kind of kills that discovery element for me. So I kind, of, I kind of half pants it, half plot it. I need an idea of who the characters are. So I spend a lot of time thinking about them and their emotional baggage. And then I need a vague map, like something written on the back of an envelope where I have an idea of scenes that are going to happen and the beats in the story. And I, I write them down on post-it notes. It's a very high-tech system I have. And I put those notes on the wall. And, and as I get to those scenes, I take notes down. So it helps me keep track of, of how I'm going in the story. But uh, there, there's a lot of element of discovery for me. Usually the first three chapters, I have a pretty clear outline of what's going to happen that's detailed. But 
usually after the meet cute or the uh, the adhesion point where where the the couple has to stick together is when I, I tend to just wing it. Well, it seems to work out fairly well. So. It's been working for me. <laughs> um, and usually there's a, a point in the story where where the characters take over and that that's like the best the best part. That's like when the scene where everything just comes together and really gels and the characters are, are actually alive. I like to get to that point. And usually at that point, I'm okay following the story wherever it's going to go. But I do end up usually having to redo the first chapter a few times. Just because I'm when I start, I don't have a very clear idea of who the characters are. But as I get to know them better, I usually have to redo the uh, the beginning a couple times. And I always moan about it, but I do it every book, every book. Well, that makes sense if you're discovering more about your characters and their world as you're going along. There's no way you could have, you know, you have enough information to get started, but then the rest of it, you know, you, you don't know yet. No, and for some reason, I always have heroes that keep secrets from me. Like, I, I get to, like, the end of the book, like, the last chapter or the next last chapter, and I discover something really big about them. So I have to go back and add that information in. Usually, I find uh, that my subconscious knew, and the groundwork is laid down for this new information, so it's not quite the huge revelation I thought it was, but that always tends to happen every book, too. So like that, the big surprise with the hero who can't tell me, like, he had a brother. <laughs> little details. But, little, little major details, yeah. <laughs> Holly Lyle used to always talk about muse bombs, that her muse would sort of set these little trails but she wouldn't realize what it was until the muse bomb went off, usually in the last third of the book. And then she'd have to go back and put them all through and realize that, yeah, she'd known about that, just not entirely. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, it's a lot like that. And also usually when I get to like, when there's a problem in the plot and I can't figure out where to go next, if I reread the beginning, I find out that I left clues for myself, which is, which is kind of nice that past me was doing this for future me. But it'd be a lot less stressful if I knew who was there. Yeah. But muse bomb is a good term. It is an odd process. I like having outlines, but I tend to have really detailed world builds and really detailed characters. And then a lot of it is figuring out, well, wind them up and see where they go. Because usually there's only a couple of logical things they could do in any situation. Mm -hmm. That's when I know I've built my people right. Yeah. Like I said, I have great envy for the, the people who have their detailed outlines where they know where they're going and everything follows this nice little progression they set out. It'd be great to be able to write a book like that. <laughs> I've got to say, so far, I haven't met many of them. I think maybe they're mythical. <laughs> Do you currently have another job? And if so or not, what are the pluses and minuses about that? Uh, well, right now I am a full-time writer. Uh, I've been doing that for about a year and a half now. I was very fortunate that, that I'm able to do this, that I'm able to make a living doing the thing I love. Before that, I had, oh my gosh, like 18 years experience in social work. Saying that makes me feel old. <laughs> but but I, I was doing social work since I graduated college. And, and, I, and I went to grad school, got a master's in social work. You know, I'm totally using that master's degree to good effect writing romance novels. I would think that you are using your master's degree to write no novels because think about all of the different types of people you've met and the backgrounds and all of the craziness has got to be informing your view of how people tick. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. It's a, 
it's a good understanding of I don't want to drop too much jargon, but but paradigms of the way people think, the way people act in certain situations, and and how environment shapes family life, and and how vice versa. Oh, it seems like really a, a perfect background for this, really. <laughs> but when I was working, it was uh, it was exhausting because I was essentially doing forty hours a week at the day job. Then I was going home and writing another forty hours a week, so it was like two full time jobs and. Something had to give, so I'm very happy that I was able to do that, to move into this. As emotionally fulfilling as I did find my social work to be, because I really liked working with clients. It's a really nice feeling when someone you've been working with a while reaches a major achievement. I can see that that would be. What is something no one else knows about you that you wish other people knew and appreciated? Uh, this was the question I wasn't sure I knew how to answer. Because <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm pretty transparent about myself, but then again, I don't talk about myself a lot. And and I think I realize that's probably all my years of being a social worker is talking with people, but not actually talking about myself because we're there to talk about them, not not my baggage. <laughs> I think something I've never mentioned before is uh, when I was a child, I had a speech impediment. So I, I did uh, some speech therapy for a while. And, and my brother and sister also had the same impediment. I don't know what the actual condition's name is, but it's an underdeveloped muscle in the tongue. I, I have very vivid memories of when I was in kindergarten or the first grade and trying to tell my mother something, but it was just coming out all tangled and garbled and getting really frustrated about that. So maybe that's why I like language so much now. That, that communication is very important to me because I, I wasn't able to communicate when I was younger. That's a super interesting insight on how that can take on a life of its own. What are your favorite inspiration prompts productivity tools, or creative routines? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I found that every book is different, and it wants to be written in, in, its own, in its own unique, special way. So sometimes that's just as easy as I'm, I'm writing at the dining room table this time, or I go to the library to write. Sometimes I change up my, my musical background, uh, the soundtrack I'm listening to. But generally speaking, for my creative routine, I, I do my best writing in the afternoon. I think that's the time of day when my brain has warmed up and it's ready to, to be creative. So typically from like noon to five, I'm writing and I put on my, my sound counseling headphones and they are the best money I've ever spent. Uh, they're, they're so great at blocking out the the background noises that distract me because I get super distracted by everything. And uh, then I'm normally listening to white noise, like like rain or birds or, uh, oh, recently it's been a lo-fi chill hop. <laughs> it's a YouTube channel. It's just just, mu just music and no, no lyrics to distract me. It's um, peppy enough that it keeps me energized, but not distracting. And I also... Uh, like doing Pomodoros, you know, 25 minutes writing, five minute break. And I like to write down how many words I've been writing with each, with each Pomodoro, because I find that columns of little numbers increasing motivate me. They make me feel like I'm doing something. Because when you're writing a book, 
a book is huge and it's really easy to be discouraged because, oh my God, you're only in chapter five and this book is never going to end. But if I can look and I I see how much I'm writing every sprint, I can say, oh my gosh, I've written 2000 words today. I've actually made progress. That does help to break it into more manageable chunks where you can see an actual tangible difference. Yes. So that's, I find the thing that motivates me the most. I love productivity hacks. I'm always trying new things. I always find it interesting, the the strange things that show up on Facebook of like life hack, and it's like, put the straw in the tab of your soda can. And I thought, doesn't really help anything. No. No. I mean, maybe somebody's life is going to solve something, but... but Some of those hacks, they look like they're more effort than they're worth. But like, how how is this helpful? I do not know because maybe I just have overly complicated my life that that making a funnel out of an old lotion bottle doesn't solve my personal needs, but (laughs) it's it's always funny how obsessed I think we all are with it, how to make it easier, how to make it better. Like, just have a funnel. I I don't understand that. They're they're cheap. (laughs) They last forever. And they are remarkably useful. They they are. I think I've had the same funnel since, like, college. So that would have been the 90s. I've had the same funnel in my kitchen since the 90s. Yes. They don't wear out. (laughs) At least I have pieces of this. I think it was a set of funnels of gradiated sizes, and I think I have three of the five left or something. Because, yes, it was the 90s, and I've moved house a few times. <laughs> what three things do you wish you'd known earlier in your creative journey? That's a really good question. Oh, there's so many things I wish I had known. But, honestly, I'm pretty stubborn. I, I don't listen. So, so that, that's, my, that's on me. That's my flaw. I think the first thing was would be it's okay to like what you like, that you don't have to be... Whatever type of art you want to make, that's fine. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be high flute literature. It can be happy romance novels, like what I write. When I was in school, when I was younger, I was such a snob. I read science fiction, fantasy, mysteries, all, all the genres, including romance, but I never admitted to romance because that was somehow shameful. There's a lot of stigma about romance. And I was determined that I was going to be a great writer, that I was going to write literature. So I was better than those genres. And that was just hubris. It was just me being a snob. Because I love those genres. And there's nothing wrong with that. I do think it's interesting, sort of the gendering of different genres. That some of the stigma with romance, I'm fairly certain, has to do with readership or perceived readership. And science fiction and fantasy have sort of come out of the genre ghetto but I think some of that is because it has a more male-perceived readership, even if that's not true anymore. I don't think that was ever necessarily true. I mean, one of the earliest science fiction books was Frankenstein. It was written by a, by a teenage girl. Yes. I should say a teenage woman. Teenage girl, that's just internalized misogyny. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was written by a woman. And science fiction has always, it has, has always had female writers. They like to pretend it's a boys' club. It has never been a boys' club. But yeah, but you're right about romance. That is seen, seen as a, a woman's genre, therefore somehow lesser, which is very frustrating because romance is incredibly progressive. 
I do find it interesting when I get letters from men and I don't know if there are more men reading romance because on an e-reader you can't see the cover or if there's always been men reading romance and it's just always been very quiet. Oh, that's a good question. I do suspect there are maybe people who are more comfortable exploring new stuff because you can't see the cover on the e-reader. You're absolutely right. You gotta, there's a lot of anonymity. Is I know, I, I, when I was on my lunch breaks, I would read certain books on my Kindle that I would have never brought into the office. <laughs> Why, yes, this is War and Peace, of course. <laughs> no, I'm reading something important that's good for me. Something edifying. <laughs> I'm not reading about tentacles. No. Uh, so the second thing I, I, that I would like to, uh, to have known is your writing doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to write it. I think a lot of writers get into our, to our own heads about writing that perfect sentence, the perfect paragraph, probably because you only ever see the end product. You never see the horrible first draft or the bad second draft. You only ever read the finished book. But it has to be written so you can edit it. And it doesn't have to be perfect. That's what editing is for. So I have to remind myself about that all the time. <laughs> that just push through, keep moving, keep writing. You'll fix it later. <laughs> what is the latest tool or resource you've discovered? I am completely enamored with Pacemaker. It's a website that helps track your productivity. It's specifically designed for writers, which is kind of nice. You put in how many words your project is and the length of time you want to, to write it in, and it makes you a little chart where it shows you how many words you need to write a day. You can also pick the type of writer you are, the type of schedule you want. It could be like the same amount of words each day. It could be um, a ramping up where, where you suddenly increase your pace or oscillating, which is kind of what I am, where it's a different amount every day. <laughs> but I found it enormously helpful that I can put in the words a day so I can see a little chart or a graph. I'm a very visual thinker and it just hits all the right buttons in my mind. Oh, fantastic. I will put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the greatest thing ever. I told everyone I knew about it. And I think it's really only, I'm all the only one who likes it. But it's like it was made just for me. It, it, it does all the things I need to keep myself motivated to show me how, how the project is going, where my momentum is. Well, then that makes it completely worthwhile. Oh, yeah. And, and it's free. Uh, the downside um, for the free plan is it's public. So every time you update, it goes on their homepage so that users can see who's using it. Uh, if you want to be private, then it's a paid plan. That's an easy workaround. Though. It's an easy workaround. Just like don't use your don't use your name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or your title or many. Oh, know. yeah. Or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Don't use your name. Don't use your title. No one will know who you are. It's, it works. That does sound interesting. And for our last question, what project or message do you want to tell listeners about today? Oh, I think what I'd like to tell listeners is um, when people talk about writing advice, they always, what you invariably hear over and over again is that writing is, is a marathon. It's a, it's a long race and to pace yourself. And that is absolutely true. Um, it, it is it is a marathon, um, but 
you don't run a marathon without practice. It, it's okay to start small or to give yourself small goals. I'm a big believer in small, tangible results. I like the, uh, getting a reward. It, it just lights up the, the game buttons in my mind. So then that, that helps move me forward. Because writing a book is, it is big, it's huge. It's like standing at the bottom of a mountain, looking up and thinking, I'm gonna climb that. And yeah, you, you do it a little bit at a time, a hundred words, a scene, a chapter. And, and if you don't, if you don't make the book, that's okay. Just keep going on, keep, keep writing, keep doing your projects. And eventually you'll, you'll run your marathon. Very nice. And very useful. <laughs> I hope that sounded like it was full of wisdom. It did. It did. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show and we'll speak with you later. I'm sure. Oh, thank you. It was fun. You've been listening to Pants On or Off, all about creators and the creative process. If you'd like to suggest a guest for a future show, please drop by ellenwynbooks.com forward slash guests. Now, go out there and make something fantastic. Fantastic.